Well, good morning. It is such an honor and a joy for Liz and I to be back here with you today. I served here from May of 85 till November of 91 as Minister of Youth and Education. And it was some wonderful years. Still many, many dear, dear friends here. And I'm thankful some of my, my kids and Liz's kids came today uh, to be with us. And there are several others that uh, I know are serving in their churches and will be here at different times, either tonight or next Sunday morning or next Sunday night. So I might even be emotional here today, folks. <laughs> so if I cry a little, that's okay. But it's just so good to see so many faces that know there's a lot of love within this place. Uh, our hearts, our lives are still here. been praying for this church, uh, praying for your new pastor, whoever God leads here, that God will continue to do some great and mighty things in this church. I hope everybody has a stone. If you didn't, they're at the doors. Go grab one. You'll need one, but I need to make one specific announcement. This message is not the stoning of Stephen. <laughs> know that. Okay, please understand that. Uh, it's not there. Um, just to catch you up on our life a little bit, uh, when I left here, or when we left here, uh, Stephanie was three years old. Daniel was four months old. I'm not going to tell you where Daniel's sitting. You can pick him out. You'll know who it is if you see him. He told me a week or two ago, Daniel works for Mercy in Ada. He's EMT. And uh, stays. he may fall asleep. He just got off a 48-hour shift this morning. And just on Friday, he and his partner made 12 runs. So they've been busy. Called out last night even. So um, he picked somebody up a week or two ago and the guy's wife looked at Daniel and said you're a Wilburn aren't you <laughs> he didn't get her name but I think she was a youth here in this church while we were here so he looks a little bit like me I'm still better looking though <laughs> just a little bit uh, he and his wife Anna live here in Paul's Valley uh, she teaches at Winniewood uh, Stephanie and her husband Andy broke our heart just recently. They moved to New Hampshire. They lived five, down, five miles down the road from us. And June the 1st, they up and moved to New Hampshire and took our granddaughters. Uh, we got a first grader, seven-year-old, and a preschooler, uh, and three years old. And um, that's hard, still hard. But we get to FaceTime them all the time. Uh, Stephanie is a pediatrician there in New Hampshire and they're doing great they're thriving doing wonderful um, but that's kind of where we're at I retired from pastoring two years ago last Sunday uh, when I left here we went to move to Fitzhugh uh, pastored at First Baptist Church of Fitzhugh for 30 years and God just said it's time and I said okay and so retired from pastoring I work at Chriswell Funeral Home now so I'm still preaching a lot a lot more funerals, but I also have the privilege and the honor to come and supply. I preached quite a few times over at Beatty Baptist Church um, about a year or so ago while they were without a pastor, so that was good to, to see them and do that. So open your Bibles with me this morning, if you would, to John chapter 8. John chapter 8. 
John chapter 8. And we'll begin reading at verse 1. And let's stand for the reading of the Word of God. John 8, 1. Jesus went to the Mount of Olives, and early in the morning he came again to the temple, and all the people came unto him, and he sat down and taught them. And the scribes and the Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery. When they had set her in the midst, they said unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that we should be stoned. But what do you say? They said this, testing him, that they might have to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground as though he heard them not. So when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself and said unto them, He that is without sin among you, let him cast the first stone. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And they who heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even until the last. And Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had lifted himself up, and saw no one but the woman, he said unto her, Woman, where are those accusers? Has no man condemned thee? And she said, No man, Lord. And Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. May God bless his word. You may be seated. Do we stone her or don't stone her? What's the situation going to be here? We only know one thing about this woman. And that's her sin. A bad time in her life. A difficult time within her life. We don't know her name. We don't know her nationality. We don't even know who the man was that she was with. We only know her greatest mistake. We know her only by her sin. Is that not how we remember most people? We remember them by their worst sin. When you think of some people, sometimes you think this about them or you think that about them. And it's usually the worst thing that they've ever done within their life. And we call it a sin if we don't struggle with it. But if we have a problem with that sin, then it's just a struggle. But if we don't have a problem with it, if it's not in our life, then that person's a terrible sinner. And this is the attitude that we have before them. We label people with their worst sins. And sometimes we even get angry with them because of the sin within their life and what they're going through and the, the deals that they're doing. And so we look at people differently. Unfortunately, many times it's by their sins. There's kind of a Christian cliche, and it says this, God knows my sin, but he calls me by my name. God knows my sin, but he calls me by my name. Listen to the scripture in 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. It says this, My little children, these things I write unto you, that you sin not. And if any man sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Aren't you glad we have an advocate? Aren't you glad Jesus is on our side? 
And he is there for you and he is there for me. He knows your sin. He knows my sin. But he calls us by our name. Satan knows your name, but he calls you by your sin. Listen to what it says in Revelation chapter 12, verse 10. It says this, And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now has come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser, our brethren, the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them day and night before God. Satan is our accuser. He knows your name, but he calls you by your sin. And he's always going up to God accusing you of sin. But we have an advocate. And I'm so thankful for that advocate that's on our side, that goes to God continually on our behalf and stands up for us even when we sin. Jesus was there for this woman. On this day, this woman is going to find out how great of an advocate Jesus is on her behalf and who she is. This woman literally, folks, is seconds away from being killed. They brought this woman to Jesus, and it is in a few moments, everything in her life changed because Jesus stepped into her life. He not only saved her life physically, but I believe he saved her soul also. And he challenges each and every one of us here today. He still saves souls today. He's still forgiving sins today. Look back with this scripture with me, but look one verse up in chapter 7. The last verse of chapter 7, look at verse 53. And I'm going to read this passage, the whole passage again, but there in verse 53 of chapter 7, it says this, And every man went to his own house. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning he came to the temple. And all the people came to him and he sat down and he taught them. And the scribes and Pharisees brought this woman to him that was taken in adultery and they set her in the midst. And they said, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commands us that we should stone her. But what do you say? And they said, testing him, that they might have something to accuse him with. But Jesus stooped down, and with his finger he wrote on the ground as though he did not hear them. So they continued asking. And he lifted himself up and said, He that's without sin, let him cast the first stone. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And those that heard it being convicted by their own conscience went out one by one, beginning at the oldest even till the last and Jesus was alone with the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus lifted himself up and saw no one, he said, Woman, where are those accusers? Has no man condemned you? And she said, No man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Every man went to his own home. Evening time has come. Everybody's going home. And then it says, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Do you remember what's significant about the Mount of Olives? At the base of the Mount of Olives was the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus was known to go to the Garden of Gethsemane, was he not? That was his 
place of prayer. That's where he went to spend time alone with he and his father, communicating together. That's where Jesus, on the night that he was arrested, had gone to pray in the Garden of Gethsemane and prayed, Father, if there be any other way, take this cup from me. He knew what he was fixing to go through on that cross. But then on that third time he prayed that, he said, but not my will, thy will be done. That battle was won in prayer there in the Garden of Gethsemane. And this is where Jesus is at. He is in the Garden of Gethsemane. And then it says, and early in the morning he came to the temple. And all the people came unto him and he sat down and he taught them. So I'm assuming Jesus prayed all night long. You know what that's teaching each and every one of us? The importance of prayer. We need to spend time daily, continually praying, communing with God, letting Him speak to us through the Word and then us just pouring our heart unto Him. And this is what was taking place. Everybody else went home, but Jesus went to pray. And then early the next morning, Jesus went to the temple. And a crowd gathered around And he sat down to teach them. And then look what happened. The Bible in this passage says twice, they brought this woman to him and they said, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act, emphasizing her sin to Jesus. Jesus, we caught her. Jesus, she's guilty. More than likely, very possibly, this woman is standing there naked in the midst of these men that have brought her, and not just those, but all those that had gathered at church. And here she was, probably ashamed and humiliated and just standing there in this crowd with all these people around. Just think of the situation that's going on, what's taking place here. I'm sure everyone that was there to hear Jesus teach and those that came to accuse this woman to Jesus and bring her there, don't you know they're all standing there and watching and they're probably condemning her? Golly, she's terrible. What a terrible thing. This woman is caught in adultery. We'd be doing the same thing, wouldn't we? We're no different. We'd be condemning her also if we were there within that crowd. Now the Bible is very clear in Leviticus chapter 20. And Deuteronomy chapter 22, that adultery is punishable by death. They are to be stoned. So there's a clear stance here upon this woman's sin. But we're going to see that within this passage of Scripture and within Jesus, there's a twist to the plot here of what the religious people had planned for this woman. You see, Josephus, a first century historian writes that the stoning of adultery took place on an average about once every seven years. Not very often, is it? Once every seven years, somebody was stoned because of adultery. Very uncommon thing. This didn't happen very often at all. Let's say you've got a road that you drive from work to your house every single day. And that road, 45 miles an hour is the speed limit. But it's a good road, not much traffic on it, and you're kind of like me and 
you might drive a little faster than what the speed limit says. And you've been doing this seven years. You're just driving up down that road. You may hit 55, 60, 65. Nobody's out there. It's a good road, and you're just driving, minding your own business, going home or going to work. And then one day, you see those little blue and red lights in your rear view mirror. And you're thinking, no, why am I getting pulled over? I've been doing this same thing for seven years. And the policeman walks up, and you tell him, you know, I've been doing that. There's nobody out here. I've been doing this. And he says, yes, but the law says 45 miles an hour, and you are getting a ticket today. Seven years, you done. didn't happen very often, but that's the law. This is kind of the situation that we have here. The Bible is very clear why these religious guys were doing this to Jesus. Look at verse 6. It says, they did this to test him. They did this to trap him so they would have evidence to accuse him. Now, this wasn't something done very often, but they're doing this. For what reason? To get this woman? No. They're doing this so they can trap Jesus and accuse him of being a radical. There's a man that worked in this factory for years. Every day he'd leave work, going home, and he'd leave pushing a wheelbarrow. And in that wheelbarrow was a little wooden box full of sawdust. And he's pushing that out, and the guard at the gate of this factory stopped him one time and said, what do you got in the wheelbarrow? And he said, oh, it's just a little wooden box. You know, we work hard in there, and we make stuff, and there's all this sawdust that's left over, and that sawdust just gets swept up and thrown out. I'm just taking some sawdust home. The guard thinks, okay. And this goes on day after day, and finally that guard just in his mind starts thinking, something's not right. I don't know what it is, but I just have this feeling in my heart that that guy's stealing something. So this next time out, the guy comes, the guard stops him and says, look, something's not right with this. Open the box. I want to see in it. He opens the box, and there's sawdust in the box. Just sawdust. They're throwing it all away. And so the guard looks at him and says, look, I don't know what's going on, but something's not right. He says, tell you what, if you'll be honest with me and tell me what's going on, I promise not to report you if you're stealing something. So the guy kind of hangs his head and says, okay, I'm stealing wheelbarrows. <laughs> he was using the little box of sawdust as a distraction. And it was working for quite some time. This law of stoning for adultery once every seven years. These religious leaders were using this as a distraction because that's what it said. They're doing this to do what? To trap Jesus, to accuse Jesus. All the time, the Pharisees were always trying to trap Jesus. They were always testing him, always wanting to get something to accuse him. And this is what's happening here with these religious leaders trying to distract Jesus, trying to get his attention off the details and so forth. So here's kind of what's going on. This is either Jesus versus Moses or Jesus versus Rome. Jesus versus Moses, they're saying, Jesus, 
this woman is guilty of adultery. The scripture says she is to be stoned. So, and they know Jesus is in the forgiving business. They know of many people that Jesus had forgiven of their sins. And so they think, man, we have got him here. We're going to bring this woman caught in adultery, and he's going to forgive her. And then when he forgives her, we can go to the authorities and say, Jesus has forgiven this woman of sin. And the law tells us she is to be stoned. We've got him. He's a traitor to the laws of Moses. On the other hand, there's Jesus versus Rome. Whenever Rome conquered a nation, Rome would let that nation keep their things that they like to do, all of their own laws, keep their own culture and so forth. And so when they had come in here and had conquered the Jewish nation, they said, oh, you can keep your all, all your own cultures and things, but there's one thing you cannot do. They were not allowed to use the death penalty. Only Rome could prescribe the death penalty. And so if Jesus comes in and says, forgive the woman, they've got him. He's a heretic to the laws of God, to the laws of Moses. If he comes in and says, stone her, and they stone her and kill her, They've got him too because they come in and say, man, Jesus is a heretic to the laws of Rome. So he's kind of in a checkmate situation. You know, what's he going to do? What's going to take place at this point? They think we've got Jesus. We can take care of him now at this point. So what does Jesus do? The scripture tells us what he does. He bends down, it says, and he begins to write in the dirt. Everybody always wants to know what he writes in the dirt, don't we? We don't know. We have no idea. This is the only time in Scripture that we have recorded where Jesus is writing something. But a few thousand years earlier, Moses went up on Mount Sinai, and the finger of God wrote the Ten Commandments. And in the Tenth Commandment, Ten Commandments, that Seventh Commandment, in Exodus chapter 20, verse 14, it says this, Thou shalt not commit adultery. Written with the finger of God. How do we know it was written with God's finger? Because Exodus 31, 18 says this, And when he, God, had made an end of speaking with him on Mount Sinai, he gave Moses two tablets of testimony, tables of stone written with the finger of God. So it was God's finger that wrote those tablets of stone, the Ten Commandments that they had as the law. It clearly says, written with the finger of God. And now, thousands of years later, the finger of God writing, Thou shalt not commit adultery, was condemning this woman, condemning her sin. But now think about what Jesus is doing. The finger of God, Jesus, is now writing in the sand. No, we don't know what he wrote. They're standing around, they're watching him. Maybe he's, he's writing the guy's names that are there. Simeon, James, 
Bubba. There could have been a Bubba. I don't know. But he's writing their names. What if he writes your name? Wow. He knows my name. That's getting kind of personal now. We don't know what he was doing. Maybe he's writing the names of women down that some of these guys had been with. Maybe he's writing down some of the sins these men that are accusing this woman of. We don't know what he's writing down. But the finger of God, through writing the law, condemned this woman already. And now we see the finger of God setting this woman free from her sin. Scripture says those guys that were standing there walked away from the oldest to the youngest, went out and left. He changed the direction of this woman's life by writing in the sand. Like I say, we don't know what it was. Maybe Jesus wrote a scripture. Deuteronomy chapter 17, verse 7 says this. The witness must throw the first stone. And then all the people may join in. In this way, you will purge the evil from among you. So the person that throws the first stone is the witness to the act, the witness to the sin, is the accuser. Who's going to throw the first stone? Oh, we all are, Jesus. They've kind of got that mob mentality at this point. Yeah, but it's the witness. It's the one person accusing her must throw the first stone so who's going to throw the very first stone you know whatever jesus wrote in the sand made every one of those guys there think about it look at verse 9 and they that heard it being convicted by their own conscience went out one by one beginning at the oldest even until the last until only Jesus was left. You know, the truth of the matter is, folks, if these guys wanted justice, the man would have been there with the woman. Because the scripture says, the woman and the man caught in adultery are to be stoned. Where's the man in this? Why isn't he standing up there with her? He's just as guilty as she is. Most scholars believe that the man is in the crowd as an accuser he's probably standing there with a rock in his hand but they're just pointing out the sin of this woman he was not standing there condemned but he's ready to punish this woman also what jesus wrote in the sand changed this woman's life now let me tell you this it doesn't matter what jesus wrote what matters is who wrote it and that was Jesus Christ. He was the one making the difference in this whole story at this point. If you've got your stone, hold it up. Let me ask you a question. What could Jesus write to make you drop your stone? What difference could Jesus make by writing something in the stand? Think about it for a minute. Ever been angry at anybody? Have you ever lied? Have you ever been wronged? 
someone did something to you, someone said something to you, and you were innocent, but you suffered because of it, and you got angry at that person. And maybe in your righteous indignation and thinking, I'm in the right here, I did nothing wrong, that anger can very easily turn to hatred. And you begin to hate that person. And you feel justified in your anger. And you feel justified in your righteous indignation that I'm in the right here, they're in the wrong. And we begin to let this anger and this hatred grow in our life, which the Scripture says is also a sin. And maybe you think, God's on your side and you want to take that person to God and say, God, they did this, so and so and so and so, and they're wrong. You know what? Be real careful taking people to Jesus because you know what Jesus will do? Jesus will forgive them. Or maybe you have a spiritual mentor, someone that you really look up to, and you take them to that person and you go through all your spill and say, they're guilty, they did this and that, and I was in the right, and yada, 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 and whatever else. And they look at you and say, yeah, but did you know the whole story? Or haven't you done the same thing? Or how about when you did this, and you think, oh, they're going to be on my side, but they, being the godly spiritual person that they are, they begin to say, yeah, but you holding hatred and anger and bitterness in your heart, your sin's no different than that person's sin. Jesus wrote something in the sand that made these guys all drop their stones. And in a few minutes during our invitation, I'm going to ask you again, what could Jesus write to make you drop your stone? I'm going to ask that you come here to the altar and, and drop your stone, each and every one of us, to do that. Now realize, Jesus did not condemn, I mean, sorry, Jesus did not condone this woman's sin. He didn't say, oh, it's okay, you know, no problem there. He didn't say, I forgive her. He didn't say, go ahead and throw the stones. He said what? Look at verse 7. Let the one who is without sin cast the first stone. And he stooped down and he wrote in the sand again. Jesus agreed this woman is guilty. Do you know what we would have done today if we were in that situation? We probably would have compromised. Somebody brings somebody in sin to us and starts pointing that out. And instead of agreeing, yes, this is sin, a lot of times we'll compromise. Well, yeah, but that's kind of irrelevant or... We don't really know what was going on. I think she really loved the guy. Or they really love each other. So it's not that bad of a sin. Jesus did not compromise the laws of God, the word of God. He took a side. Right is right. Wrong is wrong. Sin is sin. And Jesus took a stand that she is wrong that that is sin she is guilty so the one without sin you go ahead and cast the first stone jesus did not compromise jesus allowed the law of god to condemn this woman but he also allowed the grace of god to forgive this woman 
And you know what? When we share the gospel of Jesus Christ, when we go forth to witness and share God's grace and God's forgiveness, this is what we need to remember. You know, too many times we have this picture of God sitting on his throne with a big lightning bolt. And God's just ready to throw that lightning bolt at sinners and gotcha. And too many times we go forth with that same attitude. And we go forth to condemn instead of going forth with the grace of God and the forgiveness of God. Let me tell you something, folks. The grace of God will win a whole lot more sinners over to faith in Jesus Christ than the condemnation will. And who but Jesus has the right to do that anyway in judging them? We just need to share the love and the forgiveness and the grace of God as we go forth. Don't look at someone and tell them what a terrible sinner they are because you just got to go look in the mirror yourself and we're no different. Sure, our sins may be different, but we're no different. But God has forgiven us. God has seen us and our sin. And aren't you glad God has extended grace and forgiveness unto us? When Jesus addressed this lady caught in adultery there in verse 10 he used the word woman he said woman where are thine accusers has no man condemned thee neither do i condemn thee go and sin no more when he addressed this woman he did not say you adulteress you harlot He said woman. The word woman was the very same word, woman, that Jesus, while he was hanging there upon the cross, addressed his mother with. He said, woman, a word of compassion, a word of love. And that's the way he addressed this woman caught in adultery. He addressed her, woman, where are your accusers? Has nobody condemned you? Neither do I. Go and sin no more. He forgave her. Folks, be careful when you bring somebody to Jesus to condemn them because he's going to forgive them completely for us. When you and I let our hatred, our righteous indignation, begin to rule our lives, Instead of allowing the forgiveness of God to rule in our lives, we become more trapped and guilty than this woman was caught in the very act of adultery. We need to drop our stones just as every one of these men did. They dropped their stones from the oldest to the youngest. They went out and left this woman. They let Jesus deal with her and they didn't try to do that anymore now go back to the question I asked you what could Jesus write in the sand to make you drop your stone will you confess that sin to God will you drop that stone and let him forgive you of that sin within your life will you let Jesus forgive you just as he has forgiven others. You may need to go to somebody in this room and say, will you forgive me 
or you may need to go to someone and offer forgiveness to them. You may need to pick up a phone and call somebody and say, will you forgive me? Or say, I forgive you. What's God asking for you today in your life, in your relationship with Him? Listen to Ephesians 4, verse 31 and 32. It says this, Get rid of all bitterness and anger and rage and harsh words and slander as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Forgive others just as God has forgiven you. You only have to forgive others as much as God has forgiven you. How much has He forgiven you? Everything. All things. And we are to forgive in the very same manner that God has forgiven us. Will you drop your stone? Day, will you come to this altar? My question is, who will be the first to drop their stone and let God do amazing work within our lives today? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you for forgiveness. God, thank you for your grace, most of all. Lord, I just ask that you would do a great and mighty move in each and every heart this morning. Allow us to let go. Allow us to let God rule in our hearts and lives. Allow us to forgive. Allow us to be forgiven this morning and in this time. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we all stand, sing the hymn, Just As I Am. Will you come this morning and just drop your stone?